0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530
1: 8920521. Today's message is entitled Samson Set Apart with a Flawed Heart, Yet He Made His Mark. And this is part two, and it's based on chapters 13 through 16 in the book of Judges. Samson was a judge or a deliverer of Israel for 20 years. You remember that the pattern of judges was that they would rebel against God by worshiping idols, then they would be repressed by an outside source, um, a people group that would tyrannize them, and then they would cry out for deliverance, and God would raise up a judge who would deliver them. And then the cycle continues in that pattern throughout the entire book of Judges. Samson was one of those judges, and he was a judge over Israel for 20 years. So we saw last week that Samson was set apart before his birth. The angel of the Lord, a.k.a. Jesus, came to Manoah's wife and said that she would have a son and that he would be the judge or deliverer of Israel. And sure enough, the chapter ends with them having this wonderful baby boy and naming him Samson, which means sunny, as in S-U-N-N-Y. So Samson brought delight to them and was sunny as a little kid, but somehow he got spoiled and sour. And we'll learn more about that today, because we're looking at Samson with a flawed heart for self. Let me first go through some character deficiencies that Samson had. First of all, we can see he was empowered by the Spirit, but he yielded to the appetites of the flesh. He was strong before man. He was weak before women. He could conquer the enemies around him, but he could not conquer the biggest enemy inside of him. He fought the Lord's battles by day, but disobeyed the Lord's commandments by night. He was what James calls a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He had a flawed heart. You can have faith in God, yet if you continuously give yourself to disobeying the word of God and being double-minded with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, you're not going to be successful. And that is exemplified by Samson. Samson had a flawed heart that was set on self, capital S-E-L-F. And there's five things he did, as we're going to see in chapter 14. He rejected authority. He repudiated vows. He refused friendships. He ridiculed disobedience, and he revenged himself. First of all, he rejected authority. Samson went down to Timnah as an adult and saw there was a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, Now get her for me as my wife. We need to realize that Samson saw this young Philistine woman and he said that he wanted her. It does not give us any evidence at this point that he even talked with her. It was lust at first sight. He desired her. He craved her beauty. And he said to his dad, get her for me as my wife it goes on to say that his father and mother replied isn't there any acceptable woman among your relatives or among our people must you go to the uncircumcised philistines to get a wife and samson replied get her for me she's the right one for me now in the original hebrew It is saying, she is right in my sight. Why is this a powerful observation? Because it says in the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So everyone during the period of of Judges lived by the philosophy of relativism. If it seems right to me, then it's right. And I call the shots. And if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And that's exactly how Samson was a product of his own culture. Moses had warned the people. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 8, You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. And so we have an example of Samson saying, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. This revealed the condition of heart. There's three things to note here. Number one, by rejecting authority, he was throwing himself towards disaster. Whose authority did he reject? He rejected his parents' authority. They appealed to him. Can't you just marry a good Jewish girl? Why do you have to go across town and marry a Philistine? He rejected their authority. The Bible says, honor your mother and your father. He also rejected the word of God because the word of God said, thou shalt not intermarry. So that was a truth that he rejected. And when we reject the authority of the Word of God, we're going to get into trouble. The Bible is the authority for all life and practice. This is the manufacturer's handbook. And you want to operate well and happily? Follow God's instructions. Someone said Bible stands for um, God's instructions before you leave earth. Uh, Now, We're moving on because we see that even though he rejected authority, it says in verse 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So here's the point, that when a person rejects the rule of God, God can overrule and accomplish his purposes anyway. That God in his sovereignty can use sin and evil to accomplish his his purposes. He's not the author of sin or evil, but he brings out the best possible scenario from these things. And that's exactly what's happening here. That he knew that Samson would be a hothead who is bent on revenge, and out of that anger and retaliation, he would kill many Philistines who were oppressing God's people, Israel. We see, secondly, that Samson had a flawed heart set on self because he repudiated his vows. He was a Nazarite. A Nazarite was supposed to do three things. Number one, grow hair, long hair as a sign of devotion. Never cut your hair. Second, he was to avoid dead bodies. And third, he was not to uh, partake of anything from the vine. Wine, fermented drink, grapes, olives, nothing from the vine. What does Samson do? We read in Judges 14, 5, In 6, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. And as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. They started out together in the trip, but somehow Samson got uh, waylaid and went on a walk by himself in the vineyards. Now, do you see any problem with that? You're not supposed to partake of anything from the vine. What are you doing, Nazarite? In the vineyard. A lion goes to attack him, and here's an example of how the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come on people, come upon people to accomplish a task, but he would not enter in people to dwell in. It's not till Jesus Christ said, I'm going to send you a counselor who is just like me, who will enter in you and lead you into all truth, the Holy Spirit. So we as Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon a person to enable them to accomplish a task. And in this case, he gave Samson supernatural strength to tear a lion apart. But he shouldn't have been in the vineyard he shouldn't have been snacking on those raisins he also reputed the vows because sometime later it says in verse 8 of judges 14 he went back to marry this woman this philistine and he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey and he scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along and when he rejoined his parents he gave them some and they too ate it, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. What did he do? He violated the vow because he was now by a dead body. You're not supposed to be by any dead body, animal or human. But he repudiated his vow. And third, he refused friendships. Now this is an inference. It's not directly stated, but it is pretty clear that when he went with his father down to see this woman that he was going to marry, and he held a feast. Here's another violation of his vow, by the way. It's not just a party, it's a drinking party. In other words, he had a bachelor party uh, that was a beer fest. And so he wasn't supposed to drink fermented wine, but he was partaking. And when the people saw him, uh, they chose 30 men to be his companions. He came down to marry this Philistine gal and didn't have a friend to call by name. You see, when you get married, you would have friends stand by you. How many have had friends stand by you in your wedding? You have your best man, you have the, uh, the groomsman. He didn't have anybody. And if you study Samson's life in Judges 13 through 16, He was a loner. He did everything himself, by himself. The only time he hung out was with women who were not very helpful to him. He was a sucker for women, but did not give two cents to the value of friendship. Recently, I had a birthday, and I couldn't tell you how touched I was when friends greeted me from afar and from here in the church, All these greetings meant so much to me. Friendship is where it's at. Friends are people who love you, want the best for you, and they'll advise you when you start going off track. He did not have friends. And then fourthly, he ridiculed disobedience. Not only did he break his vows, but he made fun of breaking his vows by forming them into a riddle. He should not have been by a dead body, but he took the story about the lion, which he hadn't even told his parents, and he made a riddle of it at the the wedding. He said, let me tell you a joke. This is Judges 14, 12. Let me tell you a riddle. Samson said to them, if you can give me the answer within the seven days of this feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer... You must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Well, let us, tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days they pondered and they could not figure out the riddle. Then they threatened his wife and says to her, if you don't get it out of him, we'll burn you and your dad in your house so she starts plying him and and begging him for what is the answer you're not even going to tell me and she really lays it on you hate me you don't really love me you've given my people a riddle but you haven't told me the answer that's a lot of pressure if you love me you would tell me you would clue me in and Samson says, I haven't even explained this to my father or mother. Why should I explain it to you? But she cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. She, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. And here's where Samson, you know, made bad choices and also was weak with women, and he gave him. He ridiculed his disobedience by turning it into a riddle, thereby trivializing it as, So what? I was by a dead body, and let me make something out of it. But when they found out what the answer was, on the seventh day, the last day of the feast, just before the deadline, before sunset, on the seventh day, the men of the town, according to verse 18 of Judges 14, said to him, Yes, what is sweeter than... Honey? And what is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. In other words, if you hadn't worked through my wife, you would not have gotten the answer. And he called his wife a cow, which is not a great way to start your honeymoon. But he ridiculed his disobedience. He got to get that point. And finally, he revenged himself. Judges fourteen nineteen, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. He went far enough so that by killing them, the news of them being killed would not arrive back before he did. And he paid the bet at the expense of these Philistines. Another way of God delivering his people by giving supernatural power to Samson. But what was the motive? Revenge. And let me tell you that this is not the first time you're going to hear revenge as a major motif with regards to Samson. In Judges 15, verses 7 and 8, Samson said to them since you acted like this I swear I won't stop until I get my revenge on you and he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them and then we see why revenge doesn't work in Judges 15 10 and 11. The people of Judah asked why have you come to fight us the Philistines came over to uh, Judah and they, the Philistines, said, "We have come to take Samson prisoner, to do to him as he did to us." And three thousand men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Elam, where he was hiding, where Samson was hiding, and said to Samson, "Don't you realize what the Philistines' rulers are? That the Philistines are over us. What have you done to us?" And he replied, "I merely did to them." what they did to me. Now there's three do's here. There's Samson feeling that they did harm to him, so he revenged himself. There's the Philistines who want Samson so they could revenge themselves and do unto him what he did unto them. And then there's the people of Judah who are saying, what did you do to us to involve us and get us? in this trouble and this threat of the people who are already oppressing us to make life even more miserable for us. Why does revenge not work? Because it multiplies. You do one bad thing, one bad thing's done to you, and then that ricochets and hits an innocent bystander, and it just keeps on going. So what does the Bible say? about revenge in romans 12 17 to 21 do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it's as if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink in doing this you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's the way to end the revenge cycle so that's not how samson rolled he revenged himself In Judges 15, 15, it says, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Wait a second. If you're using the jawbone of a donkey, wasn't that a dead animal? You're violating your Nazarite vow yet again. But using the fresh jawbone of a dead donkey, he grabbed it and he struck down a thousand men. Revenge. God is overriding... His evil motive and protecting Israel his people so Samson had a flawed heart set upon self he rejected authority he repudiated vows he refused friendships he ridiculed disobedience he revenged himself just in case you think you're exempt from the Samson syndrome of having a flawed heart that focuses only on yourself, let's look at these five things a little bit differently. Samson was focused on gratification. I demand it. I want what I want and I want it now. Are any of us guilty of that focus on self? How about justification? I deserve it. I don't have to follow the rules. I'm above the rules. I deserve it. I have a spirit of entitlement. Justification. I justify my disobedience. Do any of us struggle with that and have that flaw in our hearts? How about isolation? I want to be alone. Who is that, Greta Garbo or one of these actresses who just kept saying, I want to be alone. And that philosophy will kill you. Because if you are isolating yourself and insulating yourself from relationships with people, you're missing out on the support and the correction and the encouragement you can get from friendships. Even the Lone Ranger was not alone. He had Tonto. You need somebody. Don't go it alone. That was Samson's downfall. And then trivialization. I make fun of sin. He made fun of sin by joking about it. Do we treat sin less seriously than we ought to? Do we ex- say, ah, it's nothing big. That was a, a white lie, a little tiny thing. Vance Havner, the country preacher, said, the reason we struggle with sin is because we treat sin like a cream puff rather than like a rattlesnake. A kid said, uh, he meant to say, My life is full of sin, but he said, my sin is full of life. And he had it more right the second way around. His sin was so full of life because he treated sin so lightly. Billy Graham said, the definition of revival is when we call sin, sin, and call holiness, holy. Call it the way it is. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't whitewash it. Don't trivialize it or minimize it. And then retaliation says, I get even. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you even more. Are any of us guilty of not forgiving others? Of living with resentment and bitterness? So before we point a finger at Samson and say, boy, he was a failure. What a terrible guy. What a flawed heart he had. I'm glad I'm not him, I think we have to stop and say, maybe I have a slight resemblance to Samson. Maybe I have something to confess. Maybe I have something to repent of. Maybe I need to turn to God. I think there are four lessons we can learn to avoid Samson's negative example. Number one, take God seriously. Don't play with God Don't play fast and loose with God's word and God's commandments. Obey, respect, fear the Lord. Take God seriously. Second, choose friends wisely. Have people who will support you, encourage you, and hold you accountable. Third, make choices cautiously. Don't just grab the first thing you see. He saw this girl and he said, I want her. He didn't really think that through. And then... Be devoted to God daily. It's not a one-time thing, but it's a constant surrendering to God, a constant walking with God, a constant relying on his power. We need that to avoid Samson's negative example. Today we covered Samson set apart from birth. Or excuse me, last week we covered Samson set apart from birth. Today we covered Samson's flawed heart for self. And next Sunday, we're going to cover Samson made his mark through the power of God. But before I wrap, and in preparation for communion, I want to read from my birthday gift that someone gave me. They gave me this little tiny powerful book called A Gospel Primer for Christians Learning to See the Glories of God's Love by Milton, Milton Vincent. And I'm just going to read this because i think it applies to communion and to what we just heard my sin against god yet i could have not yet i could not have failed this great god more miserably than i have instead of giving thanks to him and humbly submitting to his rule over my life i have rebelled against him and have actually sought to exalt myself above him going my way my own way and living according to my own wisdom i have broken countless times either the letter or the spirit of every one of God's Ten Commandments. Thinking myself to be wise, I have shown myself to be a fool, and because of my arrogance, God has every right to damn me to the everlasting experience of his terrifying wrath in the lake of fire. So as for myself, apart from Christ, I am bound by the guilt of my sins and also bound by the power of sin, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Apart from Christ... I am also utterly deserving and destined for eternal punishment in the lake of fire, completely unable to save myself or even to make one iota of a contribution to my own salvation. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God's work on my behalf. However, what I could not do, God did. And in doing it, he did it all, sending his own son into the world to die on the cross for my sins, thereby... "'showing me unfathomable love. "'For God loved me so much "'that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son, "'and even more amazingly, "'he was willing to allow his son "'to suffer the loss of him at the cross. "'Jesus loved me so much "'that he was willing to lay down his life for me. "'No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. "'On the third day after Jesus' death, "'God raised him from the dead, "'thereby announcing that his death "'was completely sufficient to atone for every sin that I have or will commit throughout my lifetime. God then exalted Christ to his own right hand, where Christ now reigns from on high, granting salvation and forgiveness to all who call on him by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit our sin, and we admit our sinful tendencies, and we come before you because we want to come clean. We want to admit and agree with you that sin is sin, and we want to turn from sin and turn toward You, toward turn towards holiness, turn toward Christlikeness. Fill us with Your Holy Spirit, wash us clean, and fill us with Your Holy Spirit. And thank You for Your amazing grace, exemplified by the cross. That while we were yet sinners, enemies, Christ died for us, the ungodly. That's amazing grace. Thank You, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you need encouragement?
0: I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.